everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing in life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can go find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn more about the PNWA at pnwa.org. So had a great conversation with today's guest, Gunhild Oyahaug, who's a Norwegian author and does some interesting uh, kind of experimental fiction. We had a fun conversation about her, her early ambition, about uh, imagination, about reality. I really liked her, and it was a lot of fun to talk to her. She's, um, well, she is an award-winning Norwegian poet, like I said, essayist. Fiction writer. Her story collection Knots was published by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux in 2017, followed in 2018 by Wait and then Blink, which was adapted into the acclaimed film Women in Oversized Men's Shirts. Uh, and in 2022, she had uh, Present Tense Machine came out, and then her most recent is Evil Flowers. Evil Flowers, it's a lot of fun, very playful, very inventive, uh, very smart, I think, in my opinion. And uh, like I said, we had a great conversation, and I'm glad I get to share it with you. Enjoy. All right, live from Norway, it's Gunhild. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I, I was chicken. I chickened out trying to pronounce her last name. I'm working. <laughs> Oya Hog. Yeah. Oya Hog, yes. Perfect. Perfect. That's oh, it's pretty good. Okay, so listen, congrats. We're here because um, your fourth book drops today. Well, this is being posted on the 14th on Valentine's Day. Fourth book in America, Evil Flowers. Very interesting collection of short stories. We're going to get to that in a moment, but congratulations. I hope you're, you must be, I hope you're pleased. Hope you're pleased with this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very pleased. I'm very thrilled, really. Good. Good. Well, you should be. Of course, this is translated. You write in Norwegian only. You speak beautiful yes. English, but you write in Norwegian. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's interesting to me, the translation thing. But let's back up. So uh, this is book number four, short stories, essays. Uh, you teach creative writing. Is that still the case? Mm -hmm. So it seems like our view, our listeners can't see it, but there's a wall of gorgeous books behind her. Yeah. A life of books. Was it always reading and writing? Was that the plan from just the earliest age or did this descend on you in college or something? How did this all start? No, it started um, very, very early. Um, I can just I think... feel that off of you. I just, I'm just looking <laughs> at you and I'm seeing a girl five years old in her yeah. bed with a book. <laughs> Is this right? It's, it's pretty pretty accurate yes um I learned to read when I was four and I can still remember that feeling of learning how to read I could wow 
I mean, my parents would read to us every night. Um, we were reading. Um, I'm not sure what the comic is called in in America. It's it's the Disney Donald Duck. Um, yes, the, yeah, which, the, <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were reading Donald Duck in Norway. Oh, the reach of Disney is great. Okay. <laughs> so when I, I remember um, lying in bed with my mother or my father, and I was looking up into the comic. Um, page and I I was uh I could see a letter and I suddenly realized this is an E, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> and like, you can remember of, that? Yeah, I remember that. That so this is I remember that feeling of suddenly understanding a letter and what it what it sounded like and and then suddenly being able to um kind of put the words together and to read so um and then i started to to write a dictionary not a dictionary i wish i was writing a dictionary <laughs> a diary uh when i was six so i still have these little uh and i was writing about very very um you know day-to-day -day things like my uncle is carrying a big box uh full stop <laughs> <laughs> Or today I learned how to ride a bike. It's very difficult to get my feet on the pedals. Wow. <laughs> so I have, and that's just so wonderful to, to be able to go back and to remember those things. But I wouldn't have remembered them if I hadn't written them down. I, I don't think I would have remembered, you know, the trouble of getting your foot on the pedal. But because yeah. I, can, I can remember that now. Yeah. So, and then also um, both my parents uh, were teachers. Uh, they're both retired now, but... Um, and they were teachers in Norwegian and also uh, my mother taught English and my father taught French. So language has always been a very wow. uh, major how many, part of How many languages do you speak? Well, uh, I speak Norwegian <laughs> and I speak English, uh, well, uh, as as good as I can. And, and I can understand some French and German. Okay. And of course, the other Scandinavian languages, except from Icelandic, which is uh, which is still very close to the uh, Norse. Um, How many Norwegian languages are there? Well, there are two official Norwegian languages, uh, written languages, that is. And I'm writing the minority language called New Norwegian. I, so I didn't even uh... know that. I, I, I thought there was, you know, Norway's a good-sized country, but it's not like India where it's huge and there's, you know, billion people there. So I would think one language would be enough. Yeah, <laughs> no, because, you know, we were a Danish colony for 300 years. Uh, so right. uh, when when that period ended, there was a very strong movement to kind of try to discover or, or um, rekindle what had been the Norwegian right. written language. And that kind of resulted into the or, or created the language that I'm writing in now, which is called New Norwegian. And it's about 25 percent. Uh, or maybe a little bit less uh, of the population who, who is, uh, who writes, uh, which writes a new Norwegian. So, See, yeah. now I would think from a, from a marketing standpoint, you'd want to go with the old Norwegian because more people, but can, is everybody fluent in both? Um, yeah, you have to, you have to learn both languages in school. So, and they're okay. quite similar. It's not like you don't understand each other gotcha. at all, but it's, it's, um, uh, but I think we have, you know, some people would claim that the new Norwegian is actually the old Norwegian, you know. So, so, right, so the, right. So, so it's, uh, but it, I think it's a mix. And I think All it's, right. uh, and I think language is a very beautiful thing. I think it's, it's, uh, I think it's a kind of, uh, uh, that it's a richness to have many written languages. And that is. I think it is a possibility to kind of, to, to 
um, express yourself in different ways, I think. So it's evolutionary too, you know, the, the, the nat- I mean, English is such a ex- perfect example. You know, America is a classic melting pot. You know, we have so many people from so, but the English language that we use is totally a blend of just everything. I mean, of French and even Yiddish and Scandinavian, tons of Scandinavian in there, and of course, Latin. And, anyway, so yeah. I think, and, the, and it just keeps changing and evolving. So I think it's fascinating in that way. So, okay, so your kid, you're reading, your parents, you're, you're, you're smart, you're bookish family people are speaking in full sentences everyone's reading uh that's you know that's that's one kind of life not everybody comes from that but that's what you came from uh but being loving to read is one thing mm. writing is something else mm. you know in america there's a famous uh, american short story writer named um oh god dang it she's a southern southern writer who wrote now i'm blanking on her name it'll come to me but she said everyone knows what a story is until they try to write one uh mm-hmm. flannery o'connor yeah flannery <laughs> o'connor okay so but how early did you start saying i'm gonna write a story like fiction, yeah. actually well i think um i was probably in my teens um but i wrote poetry before that or i wouldn't i don't really know if i would call it poetry that sounds a little <laughs> bit too fancy for what it was <laughs> well but it was not was there, was were there were there verses? <laughs> yeah, no, but I was, and I was. I remember I was very jealous with my cousin. I grew up with um with like sixteen cousins uh, as oh. my neighbor, next door neighbors. So, wow. um, uh, and one of them was my age, and she started school before me. And she would come home with her homework, and it would say like nice, nice work uh, at the end of the page. And I was very jealous of that. So I just wanted someone to to praise my work. So I would write the <sighs> poems, and I would end them with nice poem. <laughs> So, you would write that yeah so i have these little poems which is a wow. comment from my own like a, a fictitious um teacher who has uh commented wow. poem. so i think sometimes i think i just became a writer because i was uh praising myself so much like i kind of acquired a self-confidence in writing that's interesting so your first impulse was to see i just was teaching a class where i was yeah. saying you've got to it's hard not to, but to not seek validation from publication because it's so tempting. To, and I, I, in a way, whether I wanted to or not, I was looking for it. And when I finally got it, I was like, I could have given myself this at any time. I did not yeah. need to wait. And you were giving it to yourself as a yeah. teenager. Good <laughs> job. All as right. A, as a kid. <laughs> as a kid. Yeah. But then when I was, uh, when I was a teenager, we uh, were allowed to write uh, short stories in school. So that was, um, so there was a, I think there's been a, maybe a decade where young students or pupils weren't allowed to write short stories because they were so difficult to judge. Right. Um, right. So, and a grade. Um, so, but when I was young, that was still allowed. And, um, and I really, really liked that. And I was very inspired by the short stories that we read in school. Um, so, um, but, but my decision to become a writer became, came before that. I think I was just, <clears throat> It just seemed uh, like the one thing that I wanted to do. Uh, and the one thing that I felt that I had some talent uh, for doing. Um, how so- do you, how do you, I'm going to slow, how do you identify in yourself that you have talent? Because one thing when other people tell you, and that's sometimes, unfortunately, the way we decide, but how do you decide for yourself that you have what we call talent? 
well, I'm not sure if I would say that I knew that I had talent for it, but I knew that it was an incredibly strong desire to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. uh, I think it's more that than just to, to kind of, oh, um, but I did have some very, very um, huge thoughts on myself as well. I thought that, sure, sure. I thought that I would be like, I, I mean, I, I imagine that I would my, have my first book out when I was 16. And wow. then the newspaper would say, oh, we've had Ibsen you know, the Norwegian playwright. <laughs> and we've had Björnson, which was the other great Norwegian writer at the time. But now we have Gunnar and then it would be my age, like 16. In the oh, you were, all right. So you, you know, so I want to actually, I, I would love to actually put a pin on this for our listeners because I wrote a whole book about talent because I'm suspicious of that word. But I do think that what we really mean is just what you said, which is desire, which is that you identify it and it it's what I think drives curiosity. One way to think of it, see what you think of this, is that when you lay your attention on something, there's no effort required. In other words, you're drawn to it sort of as you would magnetically, the way you're someone you're attracted to, whether it's an idea, and that that is what allows what we call talent to flourish. Does that make sense? In other words, an expression of the sort yeah. of inherent curiosity interest yeah, yeah absolutely i think that describes it perfectly and that's uh and that's um and then then you combine it with that uh you know um superhuman <laughs> believe in the possibility that you still have when you're young and that's becomes a very potent and and well strong driving force until you hit the wall and and then you have to try to figure out how, what to do after what's that. the wall tell me about the wall because we all hit it you're, yeah. still, you're not a <laughs> well, you you're know, still a young person in the world of writers if yeah, you, as you well, know as you know but <laughs> but we all hit the wall so tell me about your wall what was it like when you hit it and when did you hit it yeah i hit actually didn't hit the wall uh until after i'd published my first book okay um and that was uh and i was trying to write my second um and was it a collection of short stories was your first book a collection no of short my stories? first book is actually 25 years ago when i was what? i was 23 uh and it was my oh my god i don't know who i'm looking at okay no. uh, i'm totally confused <laughs> Oh, it's, I, I was, um, it was a collection of poems. It was called, the, um, let's see, um, Slave of the Blueberry was the title. Okay. Um, and, well, um, and I, th I think that went very well. It was a kind of a shock to me that I would write poetry because I'd been writing short stories and had kind of imagined right. that I had even started a short story collection before I wrote the uh, poems. Um, but then, uh, after I wrote the um, poetry collection, I, I think I wrote two more, which was, um, uh, which was not. I don't know how to say this in English. Um, they were kind of let down by my publisher. They didn't want them. Okay. Um, and so, uh, and that was just that led me into this huge. Oh. <laughs> right. Okay. So that was a big one. You publish something. It does. It's a poetry collection. So. It's the rare po first time debut poetry collection that's going to make the bestseller list, let's say, right? So, and so then the next two your publisher said, we call it rejected. Yeah, rejected. Don't even learn that word. Don't even learn that English word. I was rejected. Yeah, no, right. but I was. And, and also, um, and I was 
uh, at that time I was studying um, comparative literature at the university. Okay. Um, and I I had found uh, a Finnish Swedish poet called Tuva Forström, which I really, really, really loved. I still do. And I was trying to write the way I kind of looked at, I, I thought she was writing. I thought I was, ah. I was trying to transform into a different kind of writer. Uh, right. And that was really a big failure. Uh, and yeah. I was, I was trying to write um, as this new idol for, for two or three years, I think, before I finally realized that this isn't this isn't me. I wasn't. I'm. I'm much too. Um, I mean, I like different things. I mean, I I was I was I think I was trying to to be someone I wasn't. Yeah. So so yeah. it took quite a long time before I realized that, and that I had to kind of just go back to. To the writer that I had been um, or wanted to be, and not try to be um, to a Fostrum, which is which is really um, uh, well. I shouldn't have I shouldn't have been stupid enough to try. No, but you know what? It's it's a it's a subtle thing that can happen, and it's and it reminds me of you know I tried to be a fiction. I write narrative nonfiction, but I tried to be a fiction writer for years, and it was not a crazy idea. I loved fiction for a time, and I was very influenced by it, and it seemed like the best fit. But it really wasn't the perfect fit, and it it makes a certain sense to read someone and be really inspired by them, and just not notice that instead of using the inspiration to create your own thing, you're just slipping to slightly to the one side and imitating. And it can be so close that you can. And you are still a young writer, really, in the grand scheme of things. It's an understandable mistake to make, but. Here's what I think the benefit of is you learned experientially the, the futility of it, right? Because mm. nothing teaches you like walking that in those shoes for a few miles to know how painful they can be. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think that's also uh, for me, it was a very important um experience to have when also when i'm teaching uh writing because yeah. I, can, I can identify it when i see it when my students are kind of walking in the wrong direction I, i'm it's easier for me to, to say yeah. that i've done the same and it's uh that i don't think you should try to go back to what you you really want yeah so good for you well so this brings me to my next point so evil flowers <laughs> is a, a very playful i want to use that word i don't know if you are comfortable with that but a, a I think the stories are playful in that they're very sort of surreal and mm -hmm. experimental. And I do think that that takes a certain courage to not tell a traditional, to make just a more traditional beginning, middle and end story. It takes some different, do a lot of experimentation with point of view and with just reality and so on. Um, and I would think that, people who write these kinds of stories come to it in one of two ways. And I hope yours is the second. <laughs> the first is just, I got to do something different that is different than anybody else is doing. Cause I'll get a lot of attention and I want to be cool and different. And I've seen plenty of that, you know? And then the other one is, this is just how I, my mind forms story. I get the sense that it's the latter. Is that fair? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's absolutely fair. Yeah. Mm. And when did you start realizing this is the kind of story I want to write and were you comfortable with it? Or did you think, God, this is so, cool everybody's gonna think it's cool because i think it's cool like talk to me about how that understanding that this is the kind of story you wanted to tell well um i think um i think when with this collection i was really um 
well, it's a, it's a huge discussion. I don't really know where to start, but I think, uh, I mean, I could start by saying that I'm very interested in, in the narrating, uh, the narrator. Um, the narrator, yeah. Yeah, the narrator and, and, the, and the possibility that, and how the voice comes into being uh, and what, what a voice is. Uh, and then, in, um, and I would like to question the need for us psychologically um coherent or identifiable or believable um solid <laughs> right point of view yeah so, right uh, so it's kind of i think that's probably the uh, answer behind the um I'm do you think do you think um, now I'm, i've asked a question now i'm going to interrupt you just because yeah, i'm yeah, so interested in the like... but do you think that in a way like I was super interested in stream of consciousness writing when I was in my formative years, Faulkner and Joyce particular in America, right? But I felt they captured the nature of reality that I didn't sense sometimes in traditional narrative um, mm -hmm. because I felt like, God, the way the mind works is such a part of my reality. Do you feel that the surreality of your stories is an an attempt to sort of capture the way you actually experience reality in a kind of lived sense is that yeah. not to get too not to get too academic but that's always feeling like, i feel like when people experiment they're looking for another way to capture the way they actually feel in reality yeah well that's Does that make sense good, yeah absolutely and i think sometimes i read um uh, sometimes people are reviewing these texts and and, and i mean a, a common um reaction is that this is somehow related to um drugs this is the this is the acid version right of something. and yeah. i've never i've never taken drugs in my entire life it's it's not the way i would describe it at all it has nothing to do with drugs and it, but it is what you said it's, yeah. it's a way of describing a reality and i often think of i have said you know i think to provoke some readers or critics i've said that i'm uh, writing everyday realism because, <laughs> because that's really what it is and i also try to make uh what is very surreal with something that is incredibly mundane oh and, absolutely and boring and and yeah. very not very exciting at all so uh so it's it's kind of that mix of the super uh, or surreal and the very very real you know what it reminds me of me. is the way they talked about especially in the 60s when people were doing like the beatles were experimenting with music and everyone assumed that it all has to be based on drugs and I just thought that is the point of view of someone who has never made anything. Like if you yeah. actually start creating things, the mind you don't is going to go where it's going to go. And you don't need drugs for that. Like, no. you, I mean, drugs, you can do it on drugs, but you really don't know. You just don't need it for it. It's just it's an expression of someone who doesn't experientially understand creativity. I just, it, you know, I don't yeah, mean to be too hard on them, but I don't think if they'd ever really made anything, they would say that. I don't think. Yeah, I I agree, and I think also the the need to constantly interp interpret symbols. Um, oh. Sometimes, they're, sometimes they're just you know physical facts. You know, I have a short <laughs> story in in uh, in my first collection of stories, which is called Knots, where there's uh, is a love story between aliens, and they are communicating by Polaroids that are slitting out of their heads so they can just <laughs> <laughs> pick down the Polaroid. And there's one very stupid um, little um, scene where there are, one one alien has had an affair with another one and and uh, and the, the hurt alien is trying to question. And she's 
pulling out a uh, Polaroid with a question mark, <laughs> which, is, which is just a really, really stupid way. And when you first had aliens, you mean they could have maybe uh, communicated in something a bit more grand or, or uh, not so mundane as Polaroids. But then, um, so that and that's just, I mean, that's just Polaroids. Well, uh, also. I, you, but it is. You, but I do understand. I mean, it is a, uh, an image of communication. Of course, it is. But it's you know the whole symbolism thing. I again, I because I remember sitting in college courses and they were talking about. And I was a, a really a writer first and foremost, and I, was, I wasn't an academic, but I could jibe with academia. But they were talking about the art in a certain way, and I was like, and I hadn't thought about it much, but I'm like, I don't think artists. You don't, they don't know what you think they know about their own work. Most of the times we're just, we don't know what the next sentence is going to be. We don't know. And when it comes together, it feels kind of magical. And we may go back and reconfigure things, but we're as mystified and delighted by it as anybody else. And just so you think we put all these symbols in. I think if you yeah. do that, it's intellectual and it kind of kills it. If they wrote the way an academic thinks the story is constructed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, um, but that's also the, I think that's one of the most um, exhilarating things about writing is that you really don't know when you're, yes! you're, just, you're just acting on some kind of weird instinct. And yes! then in the end, you can, you can, when you reread it and you can see, oh, that's when the, you know, um, when the editing process starts, yeah. then you can try to highlight or just erase what is not yep. necessary and just, and, you know, and you suddenly understand what you've been writing and then you can, Kind of build on that and and write new stuff based on what you realized that you had been doing all along but it's it's um it's a very strange and mystic mystical or mysterious process i think you can say <laughs> mystical you can say mystical because i always say like you know how you can't tickle yourself you know like someone else <laughs> yeah. has to do it for you to laugh like you just can't do it yeah. well you shouldn't be able to surprise yourself in other words it should have to come from the outside and yet when you write you are frequently surpri surprised in a way by what comes. Yeah, but that's language. That's the idea of language, you know, because it's uh, because when you enter, uh, I'm sorry, the phrase uh, language, you're kind of entering something that is uh, already there, which is uh, right, and, right. And it's and and I mean words. I mean that's hap that happens to me all the time. I'm writing a sentence, and I think I have a some kind of idea where I'm going, and then suddenly I put in the word twilight for instance right and then suddenly that kind of bounces off with something else that's right and then it takes a completely different direction and and every word has some kind of uh not just some kind but a lot of baggage or yeah. luggage uh i think i mean no, uh, luggage not baggage baggage <laughs> in, in in the english baggage me is a negative connotation it's it's yeah. like it's heavy and it's unwanted <laughs> <laughs> okay let's just go with luggage, luggage. <laughs> okay i'm just i'm i'm just seeing these little suitcases coming yeah up. <laughs> okay luggage yeah, they good. do but they do they and then that's what you know that the interplay of the words themselves is something that you just um uh you just start and it's it's kind of unfolding in front of you and that's uh it sounds like a cliche but for me that's true i mean it, the, the language actually takes over so. Good. Speaking of language, I, this I've never had the experience. Maybe someday I will. But since you're since you're fluent in English as well as Norwegian, have you picked up the translations just to see how like because so you didn't do the translation. Somebody else did that. And so like, what's that like? Because obviously it's in some way it's going to be different, a little bit of a different story. Right. Yeah, but you know, um, I've um, Kari Dixon, who is my brilliant translator. We have um, kind of a, 
cooperation going when she is translating the story so she will send me the stories while she is working oh, on them oh she and will. I will okay yeah so i i have read them long before they have um, been published and and so we revise them i think we okay. usually we work on we have one short story which is sent back and forth between us maybe three times mm-hmm. and with corrections and 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 suggestions right. and right. so it's just a, it's a, it's a matter of um <laughs> Well, I I have the opportunity to kind of to read and comment, and I'm I'm incredibly grateful for that because English is the only language I think I could could do that with, right. except for the Nordic languages. Right. And so, do you ever? So, okay, so you send it back and forth, and you're trying to get the translation to capture what you'd said in Norwegian. And of course, language is so subtle. And if you love language, you it's the subtlety you love, right? It's that's mm-hmm. where you're looking for. Have you ever finished a translation of a story and something? else was the revealed in the translate in other words it just, it just went somewhere slightly different that you found a little more interesting and you wish you could go back to the norwegian and tweak it to match what you found in the translation does that ever yeah. happen yeah that's happened and and sometimes i just um uh, i think uh, for instance i remember very well i i was I, my original sentence was it's about a very unha- unhappy deer who is standing at the edge of a forest and wishing he was an elk um <laughs> and then and he is and he is uh, i think my original sentence was um i felt as in the first person narrator the the deer uh, i oh i wish i was something else uh, right now i feel trapped in a deer pattern and then Cody, my translator, would translate this into "I feel I'm trapped in dearness," and I just oh. love that. <laughs> is there a word? Is there a d- just dearness? Is there is there a Norwegian version of that from? De- no, not no. not really. Yeah, uh, it would have been very clumsy, I think. If you, yeah. do, I think you can do something similar, but it wouldn't it wouldn't wouldn't have been so elegant as when Cody translated it. So that's just um, an example of um, something I think worked even better much better than in english so and, but also i think and i, I think it's very uh, great to see when kali translates uh, the text because I, I i recognize her um she's got a very dynamic um style um so it is it is kali's style um which is has met mine which is right. sometimes a bit more um uh perhaps in some of my short stories a bit more academic uh, kind of with a twist but mm-hmm. with her um dynamic and very fun language i think uh it's, it's i think it's a very good meeting point between those two um excellent mm. well that is so interesting that is so interesting i it, well these are our tools language is our tool it's dynamic it's ever changing and it's alive you can invent words if we want which some of us do. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. So this is, so like I said, this comes out, this is dropping on February 14th. And mm-hmm. this is when you can, where all fine books are sold people. Uh, I assume you're hard at work on another project. Yeah, I am. Yeah, you don't <laughs> say anything about it. You don't say. No, just, I, just, I never talk about it because no. then it'll just die. I think. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it will. I tell my son this, he wants to write and, but his mistake is he tells me about his stories. I'm like, don't tell me. <laughs> no. Don't tell me. You're not going to, now it feels like you've written it. You don't need to write it anymore. No. All right. So I, well, this has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun, but I'm not quite done with you. Gunhild, I got one more question. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to finish this sentence. I want you to think about all the writing you've done, even in your diary when you were six years old. All the writing you've done, if it's taught you anything, it's taught you what? 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Complete silence. <laughs> no, I don't I really don't know. Uh I don't know what it's taught me. Um uh no. Uh my nothing's oh, coming. Uh, Hasn't it taught you something? Look, I'm I'm gonna help you answer it just because yeah, I feel you. like and no, because when you talked about the discovery, don't yeah. don't you think you have to be because look at here's someone maybe who has been identified in her life as smart. People have probably called you that. Mm. Whether you accepted that description or not, I'm sure you got pretty good grades when you were a kid in school and all that. Maybe you didn't, but I suspect you did. But when you're writing, if you want to discover, which is the only fun there is, I mean, it's where most of the fun is, you have to get comfortable not knowing. Because if you don't yeah. have a way to discover it, if you don't, so don't you have, And but the smart kids in school know the answers and yet, as a writer, you have to not know the answer. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's a very. How's that? Answer. How's that? I, Is yeah, that a good? I, yeah, I accept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That's what I would have said. <laughs> good. Well, I think yeah. it. I think you were pointing towards it, but I think it's really. I think it's critical thing to. We all have to learn, right? To yeah. really get comfortable with that. Yeah, absolutely, and not uh, just uh, to actually be uh, stupid. To, yeah, in a way, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's, let's call it innocent. Let's call yeah, it let's innocent, call it, or, or even open. Yes, even better. Questioning. And, yes. And interested. Yes, yeah. even better. Yeah. Good. Hell, you're all right. You keep writing those stories. You keep making them realistic <laughs> by your own definition of that word. I will. Thank you. Okay. Good talking to you. And good talking to you too. Oh, poor woman. I think she could have come up with that answer on her own. I really do. But sometimes, you know, you get these questions and you feel a bit like a deer in the headlights. You want to say something smart? Ah, that was a lot of fun. Translation. Interesting. Surprise. Don't presume anything. Yeah, it's all good stuff. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. And to all of you out there, you know, be surprised. Be delighted. Don't predict. Don't plan it. Just follow your guts, find something you love to do, and do it. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus